I think I actually was already on. Hi, um, my name is Mark Nicholson, and uh, I'd just love to pray before we start. Uh, Father, um, this is your time, and this is your story, and uh, I want to tell it well, uh, and I confess that I want to tell it well because uh, I'm nervous, and I also want to tell it well because I want my friends to um, be impressed and uh, uh, look good for them out of my pride and insecurity, so I just confess that to, to them and to you. Uh, Father, glorify yourself in this uh, next few minutes. Um, Father, I pray that uh, the story would connect with uh, each person, not because it's my story, because it's your story. And you're writing uh, an amazing story, God, and uh, we're grateful to be a part of it. We love you, and we thank you for your son, and it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. And uh, I will gladly brag about what God has done uh, in my life uh, and in my soul. Um, sounds kind of trite to say it, but uh, I am kind of a walking miracle. Uh, God has rescued me from uh, physical abuse and bullying and my own desire to binge drink and to consume pornography from my self-absorption and uh, pride and then also from the devastating effects of grief that I think we can all relate to tonight. Um, things that, as, uh, like Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, uh, things that the enemy tried to use for my harm, but God used for, uh, for his good and the good of his kingdom. I uh, trusted Jesus as my savior when I was nine. I realized that I uh, needed a uh, savior, someone to forgive my sins, and uh, I trusted in him for that and for um, abundant life and eternal life, but uh, around the age of 14, I figured out that I uh, had a better idea of what abundant life uh, would look like, and uh, that was some of those things that I mentioned to you uh, a little a little earlier, and uh, finally at 28, I decided that uh, he actually did know more about abundant life than I did, and that was when I relinquished uh, total control of my life to him, and uh, it's been a uh, just an amazing ride. Uh, not without its potholes, and uh, we'll talk about that tonight. I'm going to tell you a really short, short verse. Golly, I'm sorry. Um, I don't do this very often, so I'm not very uh, adept at using a microphone. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you a very short version of our story, um, only because I've told it before, and it's online someplace, and my email address is mark.e.nicholson at gmail.com. If anybody feels any um, desire to hear uh, the full story. I can fish that out and get it to you. Um, but um, the short version of our story is my sweetheart and I, uh, who is here with our two boys, uh, were married uh, almost 20 years ago, and we went through a season of infertility, and we conceived uh, a little boy that we named uh, Joshua Mayfield, and we lost him early in that pregnancy. And honestly, I think we would both say we were surprised at how devastated we were. Um, Fast forward a few more years, uh, another season, more uh, infertility, subfertility, and uh, with a little procedure that helped move things along. It was not uh, in vitro fertilization, but uh, a little assisted reproductive technology. We found out we were expecting quadruplets. And that even today seems crazy to say. Uh, we were not trying to get a reality show. That's just what happened. And uh, so uh, early on, we lost our first baby, uh, who was named Cooper Joel and then sailed right on through with the triplets to uh, pass the halfway point, at which point um, we lost all three of them. Uh, they were stillborn, uh, Lucy Elizabeth, William John, and Annie Beatrice. And uh, I, I don't even know, devastated just doesn't seem to scratch the surface, and, and I'm not 
believe me saying that my pain, our pain, it was any worse than anybody's pain in this room, but it was our pain and it was, um, it was, it was brutal, I won't lie. Um, so that is the quick version of the story. What I wanted to do more tonight was just talk about uh, just some things, some lessons that the Lord's taught me. I've tried to keep it to four. I have a lot more I could talk all night long, but uh, we do want to get you guys to your discussion groups. So I'm watching the time, and I'm going to try to um, move pretty quickly. Um, so first lesson. One of the kindest things I can do for anyone who is grieving is just to sit in that tension with them and refrain from trying to make it all make sense. Um, one of the sweetest uh, gestures I can remember in those uh, couple of weeks after we lost the babies, a friend who I hadn't seen since before the miscarriage just walked up and just shaking his head and without saying a word, he just gave me a big bear hug and um, just kept shaking his head. It's like, I know what he was trying to say. He was like, I just don't get this. This was not supposed to happen, right? And uh, as I've tried to understand why that was so encouraging, um, let me just read a few verses, and you'll pick up on a theme, and I'm going somewhere with this. Um, they're four, from four, four completely unrelated theological, uh, theologically uh, verses from the Old and New Testament. Um, Genesis 2-7, then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, John, finally, John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever here hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So you've, I think you picked up, I hope, on the uh, common theme there, which is um, the scripture screams that God's a God of life. He created life. He sustains life. He breathes life into dead things. He revives, uh, raises dead people from, from the, the grave. He, he offers us eternal life and abundant life, right? So what is death then? It's the absolute absence of anything that reminds us of God's goodness. Uh, and it was the fullest, it, for me, my experience, and I think the, the universal experience is, it's the fullest expression of evil we will ever encounter. And you know, we might save a trying situation like, oh man, today at work was you know, hell on earth, or that workout was hell on earth. Death is literally hell on earth. Um, as I mourned the loss of the triplets, I remember saying to somebody that it felt like I had stared into the scary face of evil. And okay, that sounds maybe a little melodramatic. Um, but it was and is, I think, for so many, uh, disorienting, discombobulating, um, confusing, unsettling, disturbing, all the, all the dis things. Grief is the only logical response when evil invades our world in such a profound way. And only God and a correct understanding of, of who he is can ever really begin to set things right. I can't write someone's world for them. I can hold their hand. I can sit in the pain and confusion with them. And I found it's not only okay, it's a kindness to say this was never supposed to be. That feels way more comfortable sometimes than trying to figure it out and give someone tips or counsel as to how to work through grief. Um, there's ample time to examine God's word and what it tells us about heaven and eternity and grief and hope and sorrow. But when someone's heart is shattered into a million pieces and they don't know which way is up, I've found the most loving thing I can do for them is just to hold their hand and be there. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he's made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. And I had this thought, why do we spend so much time and energy on um, our physical appearance, on having fit bodies, on what we wear? Why do we spend so much time on our homes, wanting to live in beautiful spaces, or when we go on vacation, visit beautiful spaces? That's, those are all things that we're going to have in eternity someday. And we, but we want them right now. And it makes sense. Our hearts are, are, are tuned, I think someone says in one of the videos, toward heaven. Just everything about this world just rings, um, just rings false. Uh, even those of us who maybe don't even acknowledge that there is uh, the possibility of a heaven or eternity. So because, because God has planted this knowledge so deep in our souls that this is not how the story was supposed to be, I think that's why grief can be so hard to get through. So lesson one, perfectly loving response to someone who's grieving is to say, your grieving is right and appropriate. It's an appropriate response to the evil that should never have been. And I'm sorry, this is not how it was supposed to be. Um, lesson two, giving thanks and leaning in. Uh, those are two unlikely pathways I found uh, back to joy. And they go hand in hand, let me, let me try to explain. Um, when our first baby was born, Lucy Elizabeth, um, we were told that um, we had two babies who looked like they were going to stay, uh, stay put, and if we could um, make it maybe another month or so, they might survive. Uh, but they also told us, uh, your wife is essentially a ticking time bomb. She is fully dilated. They could come really at any time. Uh, and so we prayed really hard that uh, Will and Annie would uh, get to join our family uh, and be healthy, and that was not part of the plan. And the Lord answered no. And I remember thinking, the right thing to do right now is to praise God, but it just feels, I, I'm not feeling it, but I wanna be obedient to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I knew he wasn't asking me to be thankful for our loss, but right then I said, okay, I'm gonna praise God that even though the answer was no, it came mercifully quickly. It didn't come at the end of my sweetheart lying in a hospital bed for three or four weeks only to lose the babies um, anyway. So that act of obedience, and I'm not saying this because I am super pious uh, or super obedient at all, um, but it morphed into something of a discipline. I just thank God. I began to thank God for the friend who came to cut my hair when I just did not have it in me to go to the barbershop for the many acts of kindness that people just showered on us for the fact that I still had my, my wife through all this. Um, and, and through all this, I began to experience this odd, unmistakable joy that even though my heart was racked by sorrow, I started to just see maybe a glimpse of, of, of hope there through uh, just being um, obedient and practicing the, 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 um, the discipline of gratitude. And, and this is crazy, just a quick bonus, and my wife has heard me say this a million times, I think it's so fascinating. If you do a search on neuroscience and gratitude, you'll come up with all these studies that they're finding that the act of expressing thankfulness, I love it when science catches up with the Bible, it's so cool. And um, the act of expressing gratitude actually creates neural channels in our minds that hardwire our brains to experience greater joy. They can, they're, they're tracking that now. Conversely, grumbling, complaining, negativity hardwire our brains to experience more desperation, more despair. Um, so 
God's word can be trusted. It's so cool. And I just had to toss that in there. Um, but gratitude is not denial. I'm not saying that like, hey, just by being thankful, all of a sudden, you know, just your, your sorrow will go away. Um, giving thanks and leaning in sort of going together. I know one of the first things a lot of you heard was, you know, in the first lesson, lean into your grief. We had, we had one leader who said, yeah, I want to lean into somebody with a baseball bat and bash their skull. And she was, uh, she was very angry. It's, an, it's, it's a testimony. It's recorded. You can hear it. It's Tracy's testimony. She's a friend of mine. She, she doesn't mind me sharing that. Um, don't do that. Uh, by the way. Um, but I realize it can be discouraging for folks to come in and say, okay, if the goal, if I showed up because I want to feel joy and feel a release from this sorrow, why are you telling me to soak in it and let it take over? That just makes no sense. Count me out, I'm done. Um, so I know it doesn't make any sense to go there, but the weird thing is we do experience healing when we let that happen, when we just allow ourselves to sit in the tears and the snot and the racking sobs. Um, you know, when you feel like your heart's being ripped out of your chest and uh, you feel, you know, you get a headache from crying so hard, right? Um, that kind of leading into our grief. And, and here's the best way I can explain it. Ephesians 5.18 says, tells us to be filled with the right thing. Uh, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. When we indulge in alcohol, we're basically filling ourselves with the wrong kind of spirit. And uh, so we cannot, at that same time, be filled with God's spirit. And if we were, we would never do many of the things that we do when we are drinking alcohol. I know all about that. I did them all. Um, in a similar way, when we're holding on to all the pain and the dashed hopes and the anger and the memories, I suspect that the spirit doesn't have the room in our lives to do what he wants to do and get to work the way he wants to get to work. Um, God tells us in Psalm 62, 8, trust me at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before me. I'm a refuge for you. And I think when we empty ourselves of our desire to manage or control our grief or emotions or hold on to a comp our composure, when we pour out all our thoughts and hurts and disappointments to God, um, you know, ugly sometimes as that can get, um, I think that's when the Holy Spirit could come in and fill us and has the freedom to, to, to move in and heal up those broken places and bind up our wounds. Um, it was through those times that I started to become, uh, experience joy again. Um, funny enough, it was probably about 30 feet that way uh, in a room 307 on the third floor. And many mornings, I would just show up with my Bible and a pen and um, just cry, <laughs> honestly. Um, just cry out to God and, and, and tell him, I don't think I can do this anymore. And when am I going to stop feeling this way and take care of my sweetheart because she's broken and I'm broken. And, um, but it was often in those times that I actually felt the most intimacy with, with the Lord that I've, I've felt really in a, pretty much my whole Christian walk. Um, so giving thanks and leaning in as we moved out of that initial season of shock and confusion, um, these two pathways, uh, these two things, disciplines ended up being a pathway back to joy. Uh, lesson three, comparison hinders healing. Um, it's absolutely normal to consider someone else's circumstances and ask ourselves if our pain might be greater or, or less. Um, but thankfully, the Lord taught me early on that um, it was a mistake to dwell there. Um, we had a friend who came over uh, early on after we'd lost our first baby. And uh, it, was, it had been about a year since he and his wife buried their 10-day-old son. And he was asking us over dinner, Julie and me, like, how, how are you guys doing? And we said, oh, you know, you know we're, we're fine. We, you know, we didn't suffer the loss that you guys suffered you know, last year. How are you doing? And he said something that just, I mean, totally caught me off guard. He said, yeah, but Mark, we got to know that baby. We heard him cry. We got to change him. We got to bathe him. We got to hold him. You, never, you guys never got that. 
And I just remember thinking, wow, you know, this comparison thing really does, you know, you do come up short, don't you? Uh, so it was, it was a good lesson in just the danger of taking one of those two paths. We can take the path of, oh, my grief isn't that big of a deal, and, and maybe I'm wrong to make such a big deal about it, and cutting ourselves off from the supply line of hope that God wants to give us through his people, or uh, thinking that, um, you know, nobody can understand how deeply I'm grieving and therefore no one can help me and we just kind of stay in that, stay stuck in that spot. Um, so qu two quick things. First of all, my pain is my pain, period. After God, no one is more acquainted with it than I am. I feel it most deeply. I don't have to justify it, but that also shouldn't make me feel superior. Um, think of it this way, and there's a, this kind of a grisly illustration. I'm sorry, I can't, couldn't come up with a better one. Think of, you have two hikers, right? And they're hiking up the same mountain. And sadly, an avalanche happens, and they both die in the avalanche. Avalanche. So does it make any difference if one of the hikers was killed by a two-ton boulder and the other was killed by a five-ton boulder? The end result is the same. It's loss. It's grief. It's devastation. It's chaos. Um, second, Psalm 56.8 says this. Um, I'm going to read this from the NLT. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. And, you know, okay, is there a real bottle? Is there a real book? You know, we don't know. I think it's metaphorical. Um, but nowhere in the verse do I read that God measures or compares or weighs our sorrow. I do see that the God of the universe is, every, is aware of every bit of my pain and suffering. And, and really that has to be enough for me. Uh, so lesson three, stop comparing. Nothing productive comes out of it. This is, this is me talking to me. And it can be, it ultimately could have been a barrier to healing. Um, lesson four, if it's not good, God's not done. That doesn't mean that everything bad in this lifetime will be reversed, uh, that there won't still be poverty or grief or sickness. I mean, the hard things that are part of living in this world. Uh, but remember Ecclesiastes 3.11, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Revelation 21, um, also, 4 says, uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I think Paul Tripp says it in one of the videos, death will actually die, which is such a cool prospect. Um, I was reading a book with my, my kids. We still do that, even though they're amazing readers. It's just something we do in the evenings. And we were reading this book about this kid. He's about 16. It's fiction. Uh, and he was poised to do something really great, uh, he um, came from a hard background, and he was uh, getting, you know, ready to make a big, you know, make something of his life. And in about 85% of the way, then, and everything starts to fall apart, and it's a make-or-break moment. And like, I got so wrapped up in this book, way more than they did. And uh, one morning on the way to work, I was like, I got to find out what's going to happen. So I turned to the last page, and I, 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 you know, just read like just enough to know, like, okay, okay, it's going to be okay. And I put it down and moved on with my life. Um, and I'm just telling you guys this to say the story we're in has an awesome ending. Uh, and I know you know that. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't suspect that. Um, and how can we know Jesus is preparing a, a place for us in heaven like he claims in John 14.3? This is a big topic and, and probably for more discussion later. But the way I look at it, if all the prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament was fulfilled in him, I don't think we're fools to believe that what he says in the New Testament about heaven is trustworthy and reliable. Um, if it's not good, God's not done. I, I, I wish I were smart enough to have written that. I, I totally ripped that off. Um, and in fact, my closing paragraph is also complete plagiarization. I'm just going to tell you now. Um, plagiarism. 
Uh, but in saying that, I don't want to minimize at all the very deep grief that's part of our reality tonight. Um, I'm sorry any of us are here. Um, we're in a sense coming to the end of the chapter that it's okay to say we would have written differently if we were the authors of it, right? Um, it wasn't supposed to be this way. And I think God is okay when we say that. We don't have a high priest, as scripture tells us, who can't relate to our weakness, who judges us when we can't take in the bigger picture of what he's up to. Um, but hold on, the ending has already, has been written already, and it's awesome. And God is not done. Uh, I have no idea, according to your idea of okay, if it is going to be okay. You are going to be okay. You're going to be more than okay. There is a God who sits on a throne who is not just ruling over us, he's waiting for us. And he is upholding us every step of the way until he takes us home. This is good news. It's better news than any bad news could ever be. Put your face in his word, like they were talking about in the video. Set your hearts on high and know that his heart is already set on you. And his intentions are for nothing but your good. Thanks.